hold in my hand something strange. Are you ready? Over here, this is a printout uh, of a screenshot of a text message conversation of two people from our church who gave me permission to share this. And uh, it may be you, but it may not be, because I didn't say how many people gave me permission, right? But it might not be you, but it might be. We'll find out. Um, And uh, so the two people, there's two characters in this text conversation. You've got one person who's uh, hurting a little bit, and you've got... And the, uh, the spouse is being really kind and helpful in this text message set, okay? Those are your characters. So the, the kind spouse says, what's wrong? And uh, the, the other spouse says, a few texts, there's three bubbles here, blue bubbles, uh, that I'm not going to share, but basically they're just fussing, right? People fuss. We all fuss, don't we, sometimes? And that's what's happening here. There's just some, some frustration. And then the, the spouse says, I'm sorry, I love you so much. And the other spouse says, thank you. And then the, the, the kind spouse says, what would help? In a, in a moment of hurt, right? In a moment where, where this person's feeling hurt in, in the middle of some mess. And the, the spouse, their, their response that's written right there is, maybe money, question mark. Maybe that would fix this right now. And, uh, and I don't think that you want to leave this person's text message uh, all by themselves, right? Th- this isn't the only person who's ever thought, man, when everything around me is hurting and breaking, money would be the solution, Right? We, we've gone to that in our heads, haven't you? Have you done this before? Is that, is that a normal thing for us? And uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit. Uh, my name is Nick, by the way. Hello. Welcome to church. If you have a Bible, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. We, uh, we are talking, this is uh, one, one message in this series uh, on contentment that is about money. And maybe for you, when you hear we're going to talk about money in church, that makes you stressed. Uh, and I get it. I'm kind of the same way in some ways. We, we, we don't talk about money very much at our church uh, in sermons, and we probably should a lot more. Uh, and this is where our text is going to lead us today. And I want to just comfort you in advance by telling you some points that I'm not going to make this morning because they're not in the text that we're looking at. So I'm not going to be making the point this morning about how you and I should be generous with our money, that God has given us everything, and we should be generous with it. That's clearly in other places in the Bible. You don't need it from me today. Because that's not what's in our text, so I'm not making that point today. I'm also not making the point this morning that uh, giving is discipleship. Whenever we come, we might be tempted to say in a church context, I don't want to be at a church where they talk about money. That usually equates to, I want to be at a church where somebody else pays for me to have my needs met. And that's not who we are as a church, right? And so when we talk about giving as a part of discipleship, I just want to make the point, that's not the point we're making today, because that's not what's in our text right now. We're not making the point this morning about how if you and I come to the conclusion that we love the spread of the gospel more than our own lives, that affects us in practical ways, including how we use our time, how we use our energy, and yes, how we use our money, because we care about the spread of the gospel. But I'm not making those points today, because that's not what's in our text for this morning. So you can all go ahead and, and take a breath. That's not what we're doing, all right? We are going to be dealing with a very practical text this morning that's in Ecclesiastes. It's most likely written by King Solomon, who would have been the wealthiest person of his time, maybe all time, would be the wisest person of his time, maybe all time. And I want to ask you, what, what's going to happen is we're going to go through the verses here one by one, one verse at a time, and uh, I'm not going to have really clever points, uh, and, and you're going to see that really soon. I'm just going to read the Bible. And that's probably good, because you probably don't want my word on this one. You want, you want Solomon's word on this, right? And as we go through it, I want to ask you to do one thing this morning 
the temptation that you could have that I could have would be to say, I'm the exception to the rule. Everything that the Bible is about to talk about as it has to do with money, I would be the exception to this, so this isn't applicable for me and my life. I would urge you um, to consider not not thinking of yourself as an exception to what God's word is really gonna clearly say, okay? Would you do that? So our goals are gonna be to understand God's word in context as the author intended it as we go verse by verse. I hope you own a Bible. If you do own a Bible, I hope you bring it to church because that's, that's what we try to do every week here at PBC. If you don't own a Bible, we just let us know? We'd love to give you one. I, ho- I hope you hear that. And, and my last question would just be, would you, would you guys just join with me in praying together for this time? Can we do that? Can we pause? And then we're gonna jump into scripture. We all do that? Uh, God, I need you, and my friends in here, we need you this morning. We, um, we don't want to be blown about by the wind. We want to be people who uh, see you clearly, and we want to be people who can hear from you today. So God, that, that's our prayer for me, for my life, for us as a whole, for us as individuals. God, would we have open eyes, open ears to see you and hear you this morning. We, we need you, God. Amen. So uh, just background on this, this series. This series is called The Secret to Contentment. What we're trying to figure out is what, what is the secret to living contented lives? That's, that's the, the goal here. And so a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jared opened this series. And week one, if you were here, was really important. His main point was that if you have a purposeless life, you don't have a chance at contentment. That was the, the idea. And so if I ask you that existential question that you have wired into your brain, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? And if you and I don't know our purpose, we won't have a shot at being able to be content in this world. I hope that for Christians, you're able to say my purpose on the planet, not just what I say, but what I mean. My purpose is to glorify God with every second that he's given me on this planet. And I will use my life to bring the hope of Jesus to as many people as possible. I hope that's your purpose, but I don't know what what you say your purpose is. His point in, in week one was if you don't have a purpose, you won't have a chance at contentment. Number two, last week in week two, Pastor Jared made a really compelling point that is honestly going to be a theme for the the rest of the series, which is simply this. Your level of contentment, my level of contentment, is directly correlated with my level, our level of trust in God. These things are linked inevitably. And that leads us to today where we're talking about one thing that's going to be a temptation for us is to think about how does money apply to this? This morning's the vanity of money. That's, That's the point of it. And as we jump into this text... King Solomon is going to answer that first question of, hey, how do you find the secret to contentment? And he's going to make eight points. I don't really know how many points I have. I either have 10 or 12 or 14, depending on how you count. So, but don't be stressed by that because it's not crazy, all right? Don't be stressed. We're just going a verse at a time. And his first eight points all revolve around a simple answer. Money isn't the answer to finding contentment. Okay, so let's look at the first, first one on this, and we're going to go through each one. Number one, money isn't the answer because it won't satisfy you. We just read along with me for, for each of these verses, see if, we're, see if we're missing this. Verse 10 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, I was reading this week, there's a, a guy named Michael Norton. He's a professor at Harvard, Harvard Business School, and he did some research in the last few years. He did some research on 2,000 wealthy individuals, and he was defining that on, on, his, on his research. Wealthy meant you had a net worth of a million dollars or more, but he says that the average person there would have been more like an eight. 
It wasn't, most of them had well over a million dollars. And at the end of his research, he said something that I found really interesting, where he said, every billionaire that I've spoken to is just wanting more. They're only excited by, quote, each additional increment of money they make. That one makes sense to us, right? That was his conclusions in this one. There's a guy named Gary Steinhardt, author who wrote a book called Lake Success, and he did his research by spending personal time getting into the circles of between 12 and 15 of the top hedge funders. And so these are people who aren't seven, eight, nine, these are 10 digit net worth or higher. And these billionaires, he gets a lot of time and maybe must be an amazing research period, right? Getting, getting time in this lifestyle. And this was his conclusion at the end. Gary says, uh, he, he found that his personal time he noted how they only saw money as a scorecard, ever distanced by the next person higher than them. But then this quote that says, at the end of the day, I was just happy to end this research because it was quite depressing. You and I have seen this. We, we know this to be the case because we've had too many people go before us and prove a love of money and wealth isn't going to satisfy us. That's what, that's what Solomon's saying here. He gives a second reason. He says that it attracts leeches. Uh, so verse 11 says this, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? My version, I felt a little confusing with that. Depending on your version, maybe it was a little simpler. His main point in verse 11 is this, the more that you end Getting, the more you will end up spending. And you already knew that to be true, right? We do, we do Financial Peace University here at PBC. And if you're a Dave Ramsey person, if you know Dave Ramsey, you've gone, not, not personally, that's amazing if you do, but you've gone through the course and heard Dave Ramsey, he's got a bunch of zingers, right? Like he's got these one-line zingers that are uh, powerful. And one of them that I think is great is he just says, you can't out-earn stupid. That's his main point. And so his point, he speaks to, uh, it seems like every millennial, this, this applies uh, if you look just percentage-wise, where he's saying, if, if you're making $30,000 a year and spending $35,000 a year, that's stupid. That's what he says. And then he says, but don't think that if you get to 40, you'll fix it. You'll just spend 45. That, that's Ramsey's point in, in what he's talking about here. And we've experienced this. The more we earn, the more we spend. But maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, it's just simply the more I earn, the more I pay in taxes. Or the more that I earn, I just find that my children or dependents or spouse, whatever, uh, are asked for more. Or maybe it really is the, the heart of this verse where there are leeches or freeloaders, people who want to take it from you, right? And being uh, an illustration on this and then realize I didn't have to because you already know this. If if you've never done a Google search on just lottery winners who are now broke, if, if, you guys have heard those stories, right? You, you don't need me to share that with you. It's depressing, and it shows what Solomon knew a long time ago is still contextually relevant to us today. More money can attract leeches. It'll lead to more spending. It doesn't, it's not the answer to contentment. That's number two for him. Number three, he says it prevents good rest. Read, read verse 12 with me if you would. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. We're not silly in this room. We, we know that money has significance, right? Like, y'all know that I know that. I know that you know that. Money's not irrelevant. That, we're not oblivious to that, right? We need something in order to make sure that our basic human needs get met. You need that, and people in other countries need that. Basic human needs of food, water, clothing, shelter from inclement weather. You need these human needs, and money can play a role in making sure that you get those, right? 
based on our context in this room and what I see, I'm guessing that that doesn't apply to any of us. We have our basic needs met, and everyone in this room probably is able to make sure that you are nourished, able to be hydrated, clothed, and even if it's not as big as you'd want it to be, you could have shelter from storms, right? That's us. But what we see is that long after our basic human needs get met, long after we've hit the basics of what it takes to survive, we start to long for something different. We long for something else. We long for, I just want more money, or I want more status, or I want more friends, or I want to be able to get more things. I want to be more comfortable. And money ultimately isn't going to do any of those things that we want. And Solomon's point here is that good, hard labor, and if that's you, if you're somebody who's been able to work hard, and you know what it means to work hard and do it unto the Lord, using the gifts that he's given you diligently to be able to honor him, that there's good rest to be found in doing what you were created to do. And whenever you and I live a life that's only going to be contented by looking for more and more wealth, we won't be able to have rest. That's what God wants for us. That's why he's given us the Sabbath. That's why God cares about this a lot. It goes to a fourth point. Fourth point is that money isn't the answer because it hurts you ultimately. Verse 13 says, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their own to his hurt. Okay, you see where I got this point from? It hurts. I, uh, I love Christmas. Y'all know that. Those of you who know me, I love Christmas, right? Uh, but I've never, I've never seen uh, the movie A Christmas Carol. I, I should do that this year. That's my plan. If you're horrified that I haven't seen that, I'll fix it. I'm sorry. Invite me over. I'll watch it with you, right? Uh, I've never seen it, but Meredith and I went to Chicago this last year, and we saw a theater production. There was a spinoff of The Christmas Carol. And so I'm not sure if my character story that's in my head is exactly true to your plot that what you see in the movie, but this is what I saw in the movie and tell me, or in the show, tell me if I'm getting it a little off. In the show that I saw, Ebenezer Scrooge is this archetype or prototype of people that you and I know and that we've seen, people who love money at the core. That's what they want the most. At least in, in the show that I was saying, that, that's what it was about. And in the show I saw, it got weird. Like he held bags of money and like slept with it. I don't know if that's in the movie or not, honestly. But in the show I saw, that's what he did. What we ultimately ended up seeing at the end of the, throughout the show is that it hurt. It hurt his relationship with his sister, who ends up dying. It hurts his relationship with his nephew. It hurts his relationship with friends, people that he knew when he was growing up. It hurts relationships with employees. And ultimately, it hurts Scrooge and his character, right? This isn't, you in the movie, this man is a hurting person even though he has found a way to be able to act on his love for money. That, what we see in this is real clear. It, it hurts. And then Solomon has a fifth reason. Money isn't the answer, but it is never true safety. See if you see that in verse 14. 14 says this, And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. This, this text speaks to the fact that you might have some really good desire that is good to be able to let money provide some safety for family and you want to provide and you want to leave that. And what Solomon's alluding to is something that he was able to see in his time. And you and I have seen this in the last um, 10, 12 years of, a, of American economics, that this happens. People who build tremendous wealth, 2008, 2009 comes. And if it was all real estate, they lose everything. Or if it was all in some, in some stock stuff, 2010, 2011 comes, they lose it all there. Maybe you lose your money in a bad 
Testament. Maybe it goes through gambling. Maybe it goes because someone steals it, but his point is that it's never truly true safety for us. And Pastor Jared last week uh, referenced the fact, uh, a stat that I saw. I was reading this group. Uh, they're called the Williams Group. They're uh, wealth consultants in uh, California, South California. And the Williams Group's research was showing how people, that they, they consult with wealthy families who are wanting to have true safety for their line. And what they found was that of wealthy individuals, 70% of them lost their wealth by the second generation. And 90% of them lost their wealth by the third generation. Money never provides true safety. And maybe that point doesn't hit well and you feel like I'm the exception of the rule. Let's read number six and see, see if we see that. Number six is that it just doesn't last. Verse, verse 15 says this. As, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This is, this is speaking to, if you don't feel like point number five applies to you, if you say, no, I'll be better than everyone. I, I will never lose money in a bad investment. I will never lose it with, with anything crashing around me. It'll never be stolen from me. I'll train my children perfectly how to think about money, and I'll tell that they can then go train their children, and I will beat the stats. And if that's you, this verse just makes it really clear that even still, it doesn't last. Naked as you come, I, I, I was just thinking about it this week. I, I have experience in this one. I, I was there, and maybe some of you have had this. I was there for each of my three children being born, and I was like really there. And each time I was more there. That's all I'm saying, right? But you get it? You know, like I was there. And I can very confidently assure you, again, I was, I was there, right? I can confidently assure you these children didn't come into the world naked with cash, right? They didn't come in with any assets to their name. My kids were expensive, and my second one was super expensive in medical bills, right? Like, these kids don't come into the world bringing stuff with them, right? And when we go, we will leave the exact same way. Every year, there seems to be somebody uh, who, who passes away who maybe affects us uh, a whole lot. This, this last year, that was, uh, or, or last week, Pastor Jerry was talking about Robin Williams. Um, but this year, in 2020, we, we've seen it's, it's COVID. Last, when, I was, when I was watching the, the Super Bowl, uh, they did a bunch of um, interviews with people, and they did a lot of time where they talked about Kobe Bryant, and different celebrities talked about him. And people who didn't know Kobe Bryant personally were really affected by his death. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. In, in our brains, we can get to a place where we say, well, somebody who's young and at the top of their, of their industry, this incredible athlete who has so much money, how could they die? Right? It's, not, it's not that we've never seen someone die or seen the news of it before. It, it seems as though in our brains, we think that maybe money stops this when we really get down to it. And, and Kobe dies, and it shocks, it shocks us. And, and Kobe Bryant passed away with a net worth of $600 million. And it doesn't last. He, he doesn't, and, and it's not it's about Cody, Kobe, it's about any of us. It doesn't last for us. And, and that's Solomon's point. And then he gets a little bit more specific with number seven, is that it doesn't benefit your See if you can read with me in verse 16 uh, a really compelling point here. Solomon says, this also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. 
And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? None of our net worths will benefit us in the next life when we see God. And, and I'll just confess to you how, how quick I am to get this wrong. Can I just, can I just be honest with you? For, for me, I get this so wrong where I can see someone who's really successful, interact with that person who's been successful, and I do something in my eyes where I think more highly of the more successful person, right? It benefits them and I see them and their success has benefited them in Nick's brain and I think more highly of that person. I'm ashamed of that. that that's not good. I'm not, not happy of what I just said to you. And the, the point of this is really clear that no matter if your net worth is $100 or $100 million, that net worth won't influence any decision where in a blink of an eye you and I stand before the throne of God above ready to pass judgment on our souls, that won't play a role in him thinking more highly of us from what net worth we've acquired, right? This is a really important point and, and, and ultimately he gets to his eighth point that, that's real personal. He, he says, ultimately money's not the answer, it sickens you. See if you see that in verse 17. Verse 17 says, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Maybe if you're in the NLT, your version says in frustration or in discouragement. There's, a, there's so many songs about this. There's, there's so many uh, musicians who have achieved fame and money and wealth. And, and I thought about bringing you some lyrics, decided against it. Thought about playing you some rap songs, decided against it. Um, but so, some rap songs... There's pop songs. There's more classics that come out. There's, some Pink, there's a Pink Floyd song that's really good on this one. There's the, the band ABBA does one that's really, really good on this one. And the theme for these artists who have been able to experience this is really clear. More and more wealth didn't leave them more emotionally healthy. It didn't leave them more mentally healthy. That was not the theme of any of the songs that I was listening to, trying to just see how the, the theme of music, the theme of money and music has, has applied. What Solomon's saying here is that when you and I chase after money to be the answer to the question, how do I find the secret to contentment? It'll sicken us. It's not the answer. And so ultimately, that's, that's really the summary, summary here. Money doesn't satisfy. The joy that you and I are supposed to be trying to have is in the work and in the labor, not in the payment for it. And this is really specific. What I'm saying and what Solomon said here, you and I are to find joy and meaning and significance in our work to do it unto the Lord and not in the payment part. And, and it's really fascinating. I love reading about like Fortune 500 companies and what they do. And you may be aware, big companies spend tons of money, tons of money having their employees do volunteer work together. And the reason is because they know, there's, there's studies that say they'll have better morale, they'll work harder, they will be better. They'll feel better and healthier if they do volunteer work. It does something good to you. And some of you maybe have experienced that. And if you haven't, those of you who come to PBC, and, and, and if you're one of those people who's like, I, I don't come to consume, like I serve. I come and I volunteer and I serve. First of all, you should know you are the hands and feet of the mission of our church and the Great Commission. You're awesome. And it's so valuable what you do. Thanks for what you do. But if you've experienced this, you've probably experienced when I serve, when I volunteer, it's a really positive, rewarding thing for me. True, is that something you've experienced? Have you experienced this? Like, it's a good thing. Here's, here's the point. 
volunteering and the work itself doesn't confuse us. Money confuses us. If you're, if you're not a, a Bible reading person, if you're new to church or new to Bible stuff, then you can ignore this next part. This won't land for you. Uh, if, you, if, you if you are, if you've been around uh, with, with church for a while, lean in because this is important. Genesis 1 and 2 really matter to, to us. Christians, we, we should really care about the first two chapters of the Bible because they give us a unique insight into God's actual intention for creation without sin. And this is really big. In Genesis 1 and 2, we get to see how God intends for creation to exist. And God's intention is that you and I would live in communion and relationship with him and that we would work. Work didn't come after Genesis 3 in the fall, right? Work doesn't come after sin. Work was before sin. Work was part of God's intention for you and for me. The work itself is not the confusion. Volunteering, working, using the gifts God's given you to diligently labor in order to present an offering to God with your work, that's not confusing. Money gets confusing for us. And money confuses our society, and it leads to us asking these uh, very rhetorical questions. Don't answer with the answer yes. This is meant to prime you to say no, so don't say yes, okay? But the rhetorical questions go like this. Is, is a mega millionaire athlete superstar more valuable as a human than the pediatrician? No. Is the pediatrician more valuable as a human than the school teacher? No. Is the school teacher more valuable as a, as a human than the person who cleans the bathrooms at County Market? No, right? Money confuses us, and it leads to you and me and our society looking at people and saying, Man, I, I don't know that I I don't know that I really clearly see what value is. It's maybe only wrapped up in money. And it leads to us making bad decisions. We don't choose our job based on how we can best use our gifts to diligently serve the Lord. We let money make the choice. And so ultimately, number one, money isn't the answer, and it leads to number two or number nine and ten, however you want to count this. It's funny, I know. Which is Solomon saying that we are to choose a different perspective. And that would start with number nine, just enjoy what you have. See if you can read in verse 18, Solomon's main point. Enjoy what you have. 18 says, behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot the perspective that you and I would have would be, let's enjoy what we do have instead of operating under the delusion that I will be happier and more contented if I have more than what I currently have. Instead of operating under the delusion that what I have isn't enough to find enjoyment, say I will enjoy what I have. And I wanna play a quick game with you. If you do it wrong, it's blasphemy. So, okay, so come in with me, right? Quick game, real quick game. Play the role for a second, carefully. Pretend you are God, Okay. You be God Almighty for a second, and look at me. And if you see my life, you know what matters the most. If you're God, you know that your desire is that I would find my ultimate satisfaction and contentment in you, God. Not you, right? But you know. Right? That, that's the goal here. And if you look at me, pick a number. We'll use the number we used earlier. If you see my life, and at $30,000 a year, I'm complaining and groaning, discontent with my world and the lot that I have, and I'm not finding joy in my family. I'm not finding joy in my needs being met. I'm not finding joy in what I have right now. You as God, tell me, 
Would you think that the best way to help my soul find more satisfaction in you be to give me more? Is that what you would do? Is that what you would do if you were God? Like, that's not what I would do if I were God. Get out of that, come back, you're not God, right? Get out of that headspace, come, come with me, right? What we see is real clear. Enjoy what you have, and then, and then I think it's real nice how he ends this. Enjoy that you can enjoy it. I find this in verse 19 and 20. This is, this is how he wraps up this, this whole text. He says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions power to enjoy them, accept his and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. He's saying, if you're able to do this, if you're able to pause and rest and find joy in what you already have, enjoy that. That is a gift. God has done something really kind in taking our very broken minds and giving you or giving me the ability to, for a moment, find enjoyment. If tomorrow your prayer is this, if tomorrow you change your routine and you start tomorrow by saying your prayer in the morning is, God, help me today to enjoy what you've already given me rather than to think I need more. If God answers that prayer and tomorrow he helps you in your mind and in your heart find contentment in that, thank God for it. Enjoy that you can enjoy it. That's his point. Uh, you, can, you can close your Bible if, if you still have it open. I, uh, I see in some, he's saying, money's not the answer for, for contentment and that we're to choose a different perspective. That, that's what I see here. In the, in the New Testament, uh, the hero, um, a hero of the New Testament, pardon, a hero of the New Testament would be the Apostle Paul. And Paul in Philippians 4 has this one verse that you've probably heard that gets real messed with and ruined. There's one verse that gets messed up all the time, Philippians 4.13. But before Philippians 4.13, Paul writes 4.11 or 12, give you context for 13, okay? I want to read you these three verses because we have a New Testament example of what Solomon's talking about here. In Philippians 4.11-13, he says, For I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do those things. I can go through hunger and abundance, low and high. I can go through all those seasons of life through him who strengthens me. Paul writes in here, he says, I found contentment. I, I found the secret. Did you hear those two words? Paul talks about the secret to contentment. How, how can Paul live a life similar to ours where there's ups and downs and hard times and great times, times of plenty and times of great want? What's the secret to contentment? And in the previous chapter, he gives it to you. In Philippians chapter three, verse eight, Paul says this beautiful sentence that's all about perspective, just like Solomon's saying. Paul says this, I count everything as loss because of the perspective of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That for us is ultimately how you and I are able to find contentment. So I want to make it real practical for you today. This is like your application piece. If you want something to be able to take today, it would be this. Maybe for you, in your work or in your life, you get an opportunity where something really good happens and you earned it or your boss saw it and you get rewarded with a bonus 
or a promotion or a raise, some, some good success that comes from that. And I just want you to know, I'm happy for you. Way to go. We're happy for you. Your church isn't jealous. We are happy for Good. Way to go. Way to work hard. I'm so glad you're getting rewarded for that. That's awesome. That inspires me. And if you get that opportunity, can I share with you what ministry looks like for you? What it looks like for me? What it means is that if you get that moment and you get rewarded here, and we all are looking to you, you minister to Nicholas, and you minister to our church family, and you minister to those around you by saying, find that Jesus is better than this bonus I just got, or this raise I just got, or this promotion. You're impressed with that? You're impressed with what just happened in my life? I find that Jesus is better than, than this good that's happening, and that'll be ministry to me. I need that. And if you're on the other side of the coin, and what you experience now, or have experienced, or come to experience soon, is some great loss. And my heart breaks for you. If, you. if you have to go through a time where, for you, maybe it's a demotion. You get passed up for the promotion, or you get laid off, or you have some real hard circumstances as it, results to, as it has to do with money, and you go through this time of great trial financially. We're going to be looking to you. People look to you in those moments. And your ministry to me is so powerful. You minister to me by saying, I found that Jesus is better than what I just now lost. And your ministry to me and to your church family and to our community is so powerful. You get an opportunity with money to say, this wasn't what was gonna satisfy me. It's not the answer, right? Those are the first eight points. It's not the answer. I'm gonna choose a different perspective and my perspective is Jesus is better than anything I gain. Jesus is better than anything I just now lost. Jesus is better and minister to me. That's your application. Will you minister to me by being able to live that example when it comes to finances. I'll, uh, I'll share this, the rest of this text with you. I know you're curious if it was you, if you got sold out, right? The, uh, the text message is from me to my wife, Meredith. And I was the hurting one. I was the one in a really bad spot. My, my wife said, what's wrong, love? And I said the three text bubbles of fussing, right, that we talked about earlier. That was me. And she said, I'm sorry. I love you so much. And I said, thanks, Mayor. And she says, what would help? And my temptation in this text message is exactly what I shared with you, where I said, in, in this circumstance, what, maybe money, question mark? And Meredith sends a text back, and I will quote it verbatim. She says, permission to speak candidly, sir. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I said, all right, be gentle, because I was fragile, right? And Meredith sends me four words that give me the point number one today, where she just says, money isn't the answer. And I want to remind you that you need someone in your life, and we all do, who are going to remind us of that. When you get tempted, and when I get tempted, things are really bad. I have been influenced by my sin, my flesh, and by my culture, my community, to think delusionally that money is going to fix this and bring me contentment here. I need you, and we need others in our lives to remind us money isn't the answer. This, the, the vanity that comes with money, money confuses us. So, so Jesus proved consistently in his life this. Jesus proved what Genesis 1 and 2 were intended to show us. Jesus proved over and over communion and relationship in the presence of God is the only source for you to find supreme happiness, supreme joy, supreme contentment, supreme satisfaction. It is only found in him, so don't settle for anything less. Do you hear that? That's, that's the point this morning. Solomon has made the point. Paul's continued the point. Jesus lived 
a point. You have an opportunity when you're trying to find contentment and fill that hole. You have an opportunity to be uh, taken through all sorts of things. And this week, we're just talking about one of them. We're just talking about money, which is a real big topic in the Bible. And we can be tempted to think, if I, if I just chase more after money, that'll fill me. It's not the answer. Choose a different perspective and run to Jesus that in relationship with him, you and I could find supreme happiness, contentment, joy, satisfaction. That's the challenge for you today. Don't settle for anything less.